I don't know if you've heard, but Memphis had some famous visitors in town this weekend. The princes were here attending a friend's wedding, specifically Prince William, Prince Harry, part of the royal family of the United Kingdom. And folks were very excited about the royal family being in Memphis, Tennessee. And if you watch the news, people were just standing by places they knew the princess would be coming to and just trying to see a glimpse of them or their vehicle pass by. Very, very excited about the royal family. But as I was studying this passage of Scripture I'm going to share with you in just a few moments, and thinking about my sermon this morning, it occurred to me that I'm a part of a royal family. As a matter of fact, I'm a part of the royal family. The Bible has different images concerning the people of God. One image is that we are part of a kingdom. We have surrendered our heart, our will, our allegiance to King Jesus, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. When you embrace Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you become a loyal subject of the kingdom of God. That's one image of the people of God. Another image that we see all throughout the Bible is the image of family. We see that in the church, folks are calling each other brother and sister. So when you embrace Jesus Christ, not only did you step into a kingdom, you stepped into a brand new family, the family of God. You might say it like this. If you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you are a part of a kingdom family. And I want you to see some insight into what it means to be a part of a kingdom family or the kingdom family from our text of Scripture this morning. So turn with me to Colossians. Colossians chapter 4. I appreciate Joey walking us through some great passages in Colossians. He uh, recognized this is our last sermon in the book of Colossians. And so he helped us to think through it musically. And we're going to look in Colossians chapter 4. We're going to begin reading in verse 7 down through verse 18. Colossians 4, verses 7 through 18. I want to ask you this morning, if you're physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. The Bible says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. And Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is also called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you, and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas, 
Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my change. Grace be with you. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you today in Jesus' name. And we are so grateful, Lord, for this privilege of corporate worship. That, Lord, we get to get together in your presence and experience you, encounter you as we worship you, as you speak to us through your word. And God, I pray that you would just have your way in our midst today. I ask that you would establish my steps in your word. And we ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Paul concludes his letter to the church in Colossae, written during the first century, with a few words of personal greetings and some closing instructions. Now, it's tempting when you're reading a Pauline epistle and you get to the end where he's just mentioning a bunch of names to kind of just kind of glaze over it and speed through it and not slow down and think about what Paul is saying. But if we slow down and dig in a little bit, we will see there's a treasure trove of truth here for us to consider and for us to apply to our lives. I want us to think through these closing uh, instructions and these personal greetings that Paul is making. And we see here in the text that we just read the, the picture of a kingdom family. Did you see it? Look what it says in verse 11. He says, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the, notice the word there, kingdom of God. So he says that these folks I'm naming to you are working with me for the sake of the kingdom. And he mentions here them being a part of the kingdom. So we see that emphasis on being a part of the kingdom of God. But he also uses some family imagery here. Look what he says in verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved Brother, look in verse 9. With him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother. Look in verse 15. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea. And so he's using here family imagery. Paul is conveying that when you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, not only are you a part of the kingdom of God, you are a part of the family of God. You have a kingdom family. And that means something for you. And that means something for me. So I want to give you six characteristics of the kingdom family. Six characteristics of the kingdom. If you're part of the family of God, if you're part of the kingdom of God, these six things are important for you to consider and you to think through. Characteristic number one, the kingdom family is wonderfully diverse. The kingdom family is wonderfully diverse. I want you to notice the diversity of the family of God found here just in this text. Now, there are a lot of other places we could look to that, that speak of the diversity of the family of God. But let me show you some things in this passage that speak of that diversity. Notice here that Paul mentions Jews and Gentiles. In verse 10, he says, Aristarchus is my fellow prisoner, greeting you, Mark, cousin of Barnabas, Jesus, who is called Justice. And he says, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers. That's a way to say these are Jewish men. They are Jews by ethnicity. And 
followers of Christ, and they are serving with me to expand God's kingdom as we preach the gospel. So he mentions here he has some some Jewish believers that are his companions in his missionary endeavors. But he also mentions Gentiles. Look in verse 12. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you. That's his way of saying he's not a Jew, he is a Gentile. And then look in verse 14. He says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. We know that Luke was a Gentile uh, doctor. He was a, 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 a Gentile who served as a doctor and as a missionary companion of Paul. So we see here in this text you have Jews and you have Gentiles and they're part of the same kingdom. They're part of the same family. Do you see that diversity? Ethnic distinctions, ethnic differences, but on the same team, in the same family. And also, slaves and free men are mentioned in this passage. Look what it says in verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. And then he says in verse 9, With him travels Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. Now we know that Onesimus, by reading the book of Philemon, is a slave. He, he ran away from his master Philemon, and he encountered Paul somehow in Rome, and Paul led Onesimus to the Lord. And in Philemon, he sends him back to, to, to Philemon. He says, Philemon, I, when he left, he was a slave. I'm sending him back. He's your brother. Things should be different between you and him. That'll change the dynamic of your relationship. And I believe that in that, in other passages, Paul sowed the seeds for the destruction of the evil institution of slavery. But notice here, Onesimus, who is a slave in the eyes of society, is serving along with Tychicus, who was not a slave. And he mentions Archippus there in 17, who probably was a relative or a son of Philemon, a slave owner. So we have slaves and free people in the same family, in the same kingdom, serving together. On the same page, equal in the eyes of God. Isn't that wonderful? And then we see rich and poor people serving together. Look in verse 17. Say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Archippus, again, was possibly a son of Philemon. We know Philemon was wealthy by reading the book of Philemon. So Archippus was probably a young man of some means. He, he had some wealth. But then you mention Paul. He mentions himself. Paul in verse 18. Paul had nothing. Paul lost everything for the sake of the gospel. He was in prison. I mean, he, he, he didn't have anything. And yet, the one who has nothing is on the same page with the one who has much. And they're serving the Lord together, equal in the eyes of Jesus, on the level ground at the foot of the cross, rich and poor. And then we see men and women serving together. We see all the men's names throughout this passage, Tychicus and Onesimus and Aristarchus and Mark and Jesus, Justice and Epaphras. But look what it says in verse 15. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Now, some old manuscripts say the church in his house. There's some debate over just how that is worded. But most older manuscripts point to the phrase, the church in her house. I believe that's a better translation of the phrase in the Greek language. So we see here 
that Nympha was a woman and she had a group of believers meeting in her house. She has that role and responsibility. And so we see men serving God, women serving God here in this passage. So do you see the diversity? Jews and Gentiles, slaves and free, rich and poor, men and women. Over in Galatians 3.28, the Bible says that in Christ Jesus, we're all one. There's, not, there's no longer in Jesus slave or free, male or female, uh, Jew or Greek. We are all one in Jesus Christ. The kingdom family is wonderfully diverse. Now let me give you a few thoughts about that very quickly. Number one, the diversity of the kingdom is an intended result of the cross. We sang about the cross this morning, and you need to understand that one of the purposes of the cross was to take people from very different backgrounds and bring them together. To take people who are very different and to make them one. Say, wait, I don't believe that. Well, turn to Ephesians with me very quickly. Ephesians chapter 2. I want to show you a very important passage of Scripture. Verse 11, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. The Bible says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So he's saying, remember, you were Gentiles and you didn't know anything about the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob. You were not followers of his son, Jesus Christ. You were far from God. And then he says in verse 13, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, I love this, have been brought near by what? The blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us, Jew and Gentile, both one, and is broken down in his flesh, the cross, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So he's saying here that when Jesus died on the cross, he made a way for Jews and Gentiles to become one, reconciled to God in one body. So the cross obliterates those barriers that we put up between us and other people that are different than us, right? And in Christ, God takes very different people and puts them in the same kingdom, in the same family. Because the cross is not just for you, it's for everyone, right? And if anyone embraces Christ, they experience the power of the cross, the forgiveness of the cross, and they become a part of the same family that you are a part of. Here's what I believe. I believe that when we all get to heaven, we are going to be shocked at the diversity of the kingdom. We are going to be astounded at, at all the different colors and languages, and backgrounds, and stories that are there around the throne worshiping the same Lord Jesus. We're going to be shocked. And I also believe that when we see that, we're going to regret 
that we didn't live out that expression of heaven on earth. You see, the diversity of the kingdom is a strength. Not a weakness, it's a strength. That God takes people who are very different and makes them one. He puts them in the same family. That's a, that's a strength. What a wonderful spiritual reality. And the diversity of the kingdom should be celebrated and sought. Not just talked about. We ought to reach out to everyone, regardless of background, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of race, regardless of language. We ought to reach out to everyone, inviting them to be a part of the kingdom of God, the family of God, through Jesus Christ. Diversity should be celebrated and sought. And listen to me. Those that are anti-diversity in the church are sinning. Was that clear enough? Do you need me a little more specific on that? If, if you have prejudice in your life towards a group of people for whatever reason, you are not reflecting the love of God shown through His Son displayed at the cross for all peoples. And you're sinning and you need to repent and get right with God. Is that clear enough? So the kingdom family is, is wonderfully diverse. Wonderfully. It's a strength. It should be celebrated, Right? And listen, if we believe that, anyone that comes to, to, to worship with us at Longview Point, regardless of what they look like or where they come from or what their socioeconomic level is, they are welcome to worship King Jesus. Amen? Kingdom family is wonderfully diverse. Number two, the kingdom family is united in purpose. United in purpose. Look what Paul says back in Colossians chapter 4. He says there in verse 11 that these are the men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. So he mentions there the mission to, to, to expand God's kingdom. Now, I want you to notice some of the different people that made up Paul's team. All right, just very quickly, I'm going to walk through these. First of all, we see Tychicus in verse 7. He was the letter carrier. We talked about him last week, taking the letter from Paul to the church in Colossae and to the church in Ephesus. He was trusted greatly by Paul to carry information and, and travel on his behalf. He's mentioned in Acts 20, verses four, uh, verse 4, and in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, and in Titus chapter 3, verse 12. He was a trusted carrier of the letters that Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Spirit. So Tychicus is a part of the team. Then there's Onesimus, verse 9. He was a slave, as I said earlier. That was recently converted and traveled with Tychicus. And so he has purpose. He's, he's assisting Tychicus. He's helping Tychicus to, to get the letters to where they need to go. He, Paul sees that Onesimus is useful in, in kingdom work. Then there's Aristarchus in verse 10. Aristarchus was a native of Thessalonica and a traveling companion of Paul. We see that in Acts chapter 20 verse 4. He was with Paul in Ephesus and exposed to danger in the riot in the theater, Acts 19.29. So Aristarchus is helping out Paul in his missionary endeavors, and all of a sudden he's in the middle of a mob, a riot in the city of Ephesus. You need to choose your friends carefully, amen? I remember uh, one day Frank Peavy, our associate pastor, and I were talking about some, some unreached people groups in the Congo in Africa, and we were talking about one specific unreached people group that we really wanted to to, to, to explore a possibility to, to, to partner with so we could go in and 
and, 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 and share the gospel in this unreached people group. And so Frank was kind of thinking about, okay, how do we get there? So we need to fly into this city. We need to travel uh, by vehicle over here. Then we need, to, we need to cross Lake Tanganyika. And he said, well, that'll be a little iffy. And I raised my hand. I said, Frank, what do you mean by iffy? Do you mean deadly? And he said, well, you know, there's hippos and crocodiles. And, and so be careful who your friends are, right? Aristarchus was a friend of Paul. And they say he knows he's in the middle of a riot, right? But he was a faithful companion of Paul. Later, he went to Jerusalem with Paul as one of the two delegates from the church at Thessalonica, Acts 20, verse 4. And he accompanied Paul and Luke when they sailed from Caesarea to Rome, Acts 27, verse 2. So he was a faithful companion of Paul. Then he mentions Mark, John Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, who was with Mark in his missionary journeys. More on Mark a little bit later. And then he mentions Jesus Justice, a Jewish companion of Paul. All we know about Jesus' justice is he was a Jew. He mentions he's one of the circumcision, and he was with Paul. I I love this quote from Warren Wearsby about Jesus' justice, because we don't have any more information about him. He writes, Jesus' justice represents those faithful believers who serve God, but whose deeds are not announced for the whole world to know. Listen, some of you serve God faithfully, and no one really knows about it. You're not up here on the, the big screen, and, and you don't get many pats on the back. You're like Jesus Justice. You're, you're serving Jesus, but nobody really knows what you're doing. Wiersbe writes, he was a fellow worker with Paul and a comfort to Paul, and that is all we know about him. However, listen, the Lord has kept a faithful record of this man's life and ministry and will reward him accordingly. I want you to hear me. You may be like Jesus Justice this morning. No one knows anything about what's going on, but if you are being faithful, there is one keeping a record. His name is Jesus. Amen? And one day you'll be rewarded for your faithfulness that no one else seemed to take notice of. Jesus Justice. Then he mentions Epaphras. Verse 12, Epaphras was the church planter of the church in Colossae. He was the one that started the church. We read about that over in Colossians chapter 1, verse 7. He's also mentioned in Philemon. Verse 23, he was in prison with Paul when Paul wrote Philemon. So he was so faithful to to the cause of Christ, he was willing to go to prison with Paul. Then we see Luke, the beloved physician. He was not a Jew, he was a Gentile, and he is a doctor and a faithful companion of Paul and a noted historian. He was a detail man, maybe that's because he was a doctor. And God used Luke to write the Gospel of Luke, and the Book of Acts. Very detailed histories of the work and ministry of Christ and the early church. He mentions Luke. Then he mentions Demas. Demas there in verse 14. All we really know about Demas is Demas served with Paul for a while, but then in 2 Timothy 4, 10 and 11, Paul says sadly that Demas deserted him for the world. You better be careful. You better be careful. The world's always knocking at your door. Satan's always tempting you to go the wrong direction. But here he mentions Demas. And then he mentions Nympha, who had a church meeting in her house, as did Archippus. In verses 15 through 17, Archippus uh, is is mentioned in Philemon. That's how we know he had a, he had a, a, a church group meeting in his house. And so he mentions all these names. Then he mentions himself, Paul, verse 18, who was an apostle. Now here's what we have. Look in your notes. We see different different people with different backgrounds, personalities, gifts, and callings that are united in kingdom expansion, verse 11. And that's who we are. We are different people with different backgrounds, different personalities, different gifts, 
different callings that are united in kingdom expansion. So here's what happens. When you become a part of the family of God, when you become a part of the kingdom of God, you are given a common purpose to expand that kingdom with the gospel as more people hear the gospel and are saved. And so that's a picture of the one purpose that we all have. Here's the third characteristic quickly. The kingdom family prays for one another. Look what it says in verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, he was from Colossae, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his, what's the word there? In his what? Prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. We should, listen to me, we should pray for one another's spiritual growth. When's the last time you prayed for a brother or sister in Christ and you asked God to grow them, to mature them? That's what Epaphras is praying for. It says there in verse 12, he's praying that you may stand mature and fully assured, fully convinced in the will of God. That you're walking and growing in Christ. That you're getting stronger in your faith. That's what he was praying for. We should pray for one another's spiritual growth. How should we pray? We'll pray consistently. Look in verse 12. It says that Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling. That word always, pantote in the Greek, speaks of of continual prayer. He's always praying for you, praying consistently for each other. We should pray fervently. It says there in verse 12, he's always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. The word struggling means to agonize, to fight, or to labor earnestly. So, Epaphras wasn't just saying, Lord, bless the church in Colossae. He was was going to battle for the church in Colossae. He was praying for those believers that they would, would, would grow in their faith and stand against false teaching and make a difference for the glory of Christ. And then pray broadly. Pray broadly. Verse 13, it says, For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. So we see here three churches, all in the Lycus River Valley, and Epaphras is praying for all three churches, Colossae, Hierapolis, and Laodicea. Praying for three churches. When's the last time you prayed for another church? When's the last time you prayed for your church? When's the last time you prayed consistently, fervently, and broadly for the spiritual growth of the people of God? Listen, a kingdom family prays for one another. So let's let the Lord take us to new levels of prayer for each other. Amen? Number four, and I'm going fast, I know this. We're going to finish Colossians this morning. Number four, the kingdom family spends time together. Look in verse 15. Paul writes, Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. Now we see the church in Colossae assembling in two ways. Number one, corporately. It seems that Paul wants this letter read to everyone together. Have this letter read among you so we can deduce from that there's probably a time when the believers in Colossae got together in a large group to worship, kind of like we're doing this morning. They got together, the letter from Paul would be read. They would worship Jesus and spend time edifying one another corporately. Corporate worship is a very important thing 
It's important that we all get together to worship King Jesus and to build up one another in the faith. But we also see this church in Colossae assembling in small groups. It mentions there the church in the house of Nympha over in Philemon, who lived in Colossae. We see the church meeting in his house. And so it seems like there was this corporate gathering of the believers, but there were also small groups meeting in homes. They didn't have Sunday school space. <laughs> so where were they going to meet? They met in homes, in small groups, which follows the model of Jesus. Jesus gathered a small group of men, lived life with them, trained them, encouraged them, corrected them, and when he was no longer physically on the earth, those men changed the world. Discipleship in a small group. So here at Longview Point, we call those groups connect groups. We have connect groups that meet on campus at 8, 9, 30, and 11. We have connect groups that meet in homes, uh, Sunday nights. We have connect groups that, that meet small groups to study God's word, to get together, to live life together, to encourage one another. The kingdom family spends time together. And frankly, the church in America today struggles with living life together. We're busy, right? Busier than we've ever been. You know, we get up, we rush into our day, you know, get the kids dropped off, get to work, rush, rush, rush. We, we, we labor to the point of exhaustion. We have to get our kids to different activities after work. And then at the end of the day, we get home, we pull our vehicle in the garage, and we hit close. The, the door closes behind us, and we collapse into our beds, and we go to sleep, and we do the same thing the next day. And before you know it, we're not spending time with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Have you found that to be true in your life? I found it to be true in my life. But here in Colossae, we see the church spending time together. It's vital that we live life together because you need encouragement from the body of Christ. I need encouragement from the body of Christ. That's number four. Here's number five. The kingdom family gets under one another's burdens. Look what it says in verse 18. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Then look what he says. Remember my chains. Paul's saying, remember, as you read this letter, I'm, I wrote this letter from prison. Paul was in prison for preaching the gospel. And Paul wants him to remember his chains. So wait, how do we remember each other's burdens. Well, look in your notes. We remember each other's burdens through prayer and support. Surely Paul expected them to pray for him. And we see in other places in Scripture that Paul's asking for support from the larger body of Christ to help him in his imprisonment. So we remember each other's burdens as we pray for each other and support each other. You see, burdens get lighter when someone gets under the burden with you. And I want you to know that we all have something in common. Are you listening? We all have burdens. Right? Am I the only one in this room with burdens? Do you have burdens? And burdens have a way of, of weighing us down. Over in Psalm, it's, Psalms it says that anxiety created by burdens in a man's heart weighs him down. And so here's what happens. When we see someone with a burden, 
and we get under that burden with them, that burden gets lighter to that person because you're helping carry the burden. And you're helping them do what First Peter commands us to do. Take that burden and cast it upon the Lord, right? But we ought to support each other in and under one another's burdens. Listen, if you are struggling... Don't be afraid to let somebody know that. Paul said, remember my chains. This is Apostle Paul. He could have said, hey, it's all good. I'm fine. I'm the Apostle Paul. I have spiritual strength. But he says, no, remember my chains. Don't be so proud that you can't pick up a phone or take someone out to lunch or coffee and say, I've got some burdens. I need some folks to get under the burden with me. Would you pray for me? Can I talk to you further about this? Don't be so proud that you can't let other people get under the burden with you. That's one of the purposes of the body of Christ. The kingdom family gets under one another's burdens. But let me show you the last thing and we'll be through. The kingdom family is wonderfully diverse. The kingdom family is united in purpose. The kingdom family prays for one another. The, the kingdom family spends time together. The kingdom family gets under one another's burdens. But sixth and last, the kingdom family is a place of grace. A place of grace. Look what Paul says in the last verse. Verse 18. I, Paul... Write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Now this phrase, grace be with you, is a common formula in Paul's letters. It's, it's called a grace wish by scholars. He wishes they might receive God's grace. He writes it in the closing of all his letters. Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon. He writes, grace be with you. And in every letter except Romans and 1 Corinthians, it's the very last phrase. Grace be with you. What do we learn from that? That Paul closes down his letters, pointing them to grace. Here's what we learn. God's grace is needed. Listen to me. If we're going to grow in our faith, And expand God's kingdom with the expansion of the gospel. If we're going to make disciples. And love one another. And get under one another's burdens. We're going to need some help. And that's what grace is. It's God's unmerited favor. It's God helping us. Even though we don't deserve it. People ask me about the church and about the growth and about our story. And and, and I say this commonly. God has been better to us than we deserve. Absolutely. God has been better to our church than we deserve Him to be. And if we're going to make a difference in this community and in this world and love each other well and live for the glory of Christ, we are going to need grace. Douglas Moo writes this, their need to continue and grow in their faith in the face of false teaching will will be undergirded and stimulated by the continuing work of God's grace in their midst. That's why Paul said to the church in Colossae, grace be with you. We need God's grace. But but here's another thing about grace. 
not only is God's grace needed by all of us, but grace in the church should be extended. Grace in the church should be extended. Notice that Paul in Colossians chapter 4, verse 10, mentions Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Now, now Mark was an interesting young man. Barnabas was a key leader in the early church, as was Paul. And we know from Acts 13, verse 13, that, that, that Mark accompanied Paul and Barnabas on a missionary journey. But we don't know exactly what happened, but in Acts 13, Mark went back home. He'd had enough. Maybe it was too difficult. Maybe it was hard. He couldn't stand the pressure, the, the, the discomfort of the missionary journey. And so Mark left Paul and Barnabas and went back home. And so in Acts chapter 15, it's time for the next missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas. And guess who wants to go with them? John Mark. He wants to go on the missionary journey. And Paul says, uh-uh-uh. No, no, no. Remember that last time we went on a missionary journey? You got homesick or you got uncomfortable or whatever, and, and you left and you went home. This is too, we need soldiers for Jesus. You're not going on this trip. And Barnabas says, well, wait a minute, Paul. I mean, you know, he's, he's my cousin, and, and, you know, maybe God could use him again, and maybe we shouldn't put him on the shelf. And, and, and so we see that there's this debate between Paul and Barnabas, two leaders in the early church, and they end up going two different directions. And Paul says, if you want to take Mark, take him, but you go that way, I'm going to go that way. So what's the rest of the story? How did it end up? Did, did Mark desert his missionary team again? No. Later on, here in Colossians, Paul says, Mark, verse 10, is with me. And sends you greetings. And I want you to turn to 2 Timothy. I want you to see what, what Paul says about Mark near the end of his, of his life. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. Writing from, from prison, Paul writes, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Paul's opinion had changed, hadn't it? Paul had realized that God wasn't through with Mark. Maybe Mark had a weak moment. Mark left the missionary team and that upset Paul. But Barnabas, Barnabas knew that God is a God of second chances. And on behalf of God, Barnabas gave Mark a second chance and Mark proved himself to the point where at the end of his life, Paul says, bring Mark to me. At one point he says, no, you're not going with me. Now he's saying, bring him to me. You see, when someone stumbles and falls like Mark did, and we all do, maybe those that have received grace should be the first to extend grace. And say, let me help you get back on your feet. God's not through with yet. God's not just the God of a, of a second chance. He's, a, he's the God of a whole lot more chances than that. Can I get a witness? 
And the church should be a place of grace where we recognize how much we need it and then we come alongside those that stumble and fall and we help them get back on their feet and walk with them into the the possibilities of the second chance God grants them. The church should be a place of grace. And so, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ this morning... I want to say this to you. Welcome to the kingdom. And welcome to the family. There's nothing like it. Let's be the kind of brothers and sisters, the kind of kingdom citizens we see here in Colossians 4. Be united in heart and purpose to make the glory of Christ known among the nations. And if you're here this morning and you're not a part of the kingdom, you're not a part of the family, you don't know that you're saved, you've never embraced Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I want to say, won't you come today? Today you can be a part of that kingdom family. A place of grace.